0: Let's get into the story. Jesus, wonderful counselor. Looking at the names of Jesus, this is one of those that's always been my favorite. But let's back up a bit before we look at the scripture. In the days of Isaiah, the nation was in great trouble, but they didn't know it. It was was in every trouble you could be. It was in financial trouble. It was in um, political trouble, and it was in moral religious trouble. And yet, their eyes were blinded to where they didn't notice it. They were busy. People were all saying, everything's great. Remember the article I put in the bulletin, uh, our e-blast last week, about bread and the games? It was all about, oh, we're entertained, and we seem to be safe and well-fed, so we're doing all right. But the enemies of Israel were gathering, and they were going to take the nation, bit by bit at first, and then their eyes on the ultimate prize, Jerusalem and the temple, Then comes Isaiah, and Isaiah tells them their true condition, and they don't like it. People don't like it when you tell them the truth sometimes, and Isaiah told them the truth, and it came as a shock, to say the least. And then God, through Isaiah, promises them something. That is, yes, they are going to fall, and yes, there will be captivity, and there will be wailing and a lot of pain, but it won't be forever. A great one is coming to them somebody greater than they could have ever imagined is coming, God will be with them. And it will be more than they could have ever hoped for. Let's look at that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and then verse 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness, that's them, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today, we're going to focus on that title, Wonderful Counselor. By the way, just as an aside, it is not absolutely certain whether those are two titles or one, Wonderful and Counselor or Wonderful Counselor, because Hebrew didn't have any punctuation marks. and It didn't have capital letters. And so you have to just use the best scholarship you've got. But right now, most scholars, by some considerable margin, believe Wonderful Counselor was the name there. So we're going to look at it as one title to date. Before we launch into it, can we admit something? God's timing is not our timing. If we had been in Israel at that time and being told, your city's going to fall, your nation's going to fall, your people will be scattered, you will be in captivity, this is going to go on for a very long time, it's going to be a very dark time, we would have wanted God to move immediately, Right? We, if, if, you're, if you're one of those that goes, well, you know, I think I could be patient. I wonder how much trouble you've ever been in. It's not like if you're drowning out there and a ship is nearby, you don't say, when you can get around to it, I don't want to be a bother, but I'm drowning. No, you want it right then. But God waited. Isaiah was writing nearly 800 years before the t- coming of Christ. Christ. The patience of God is a staggering thing and it's a frustrating thing because we don't want Him to be that patient. But please understand something about the patience of God. That patience of God that frustrates us so much is the same patience that saves us because He's got all that kind of time to work with us, He's not going to react like this. Have you ever had a relative or somebody in your, in your circle of friends that you, it was just like a cocked gun? You never knew when they were going to go off. That's not God. God does not just knee-jerk react. He's going to plan ahead, and he's going to move. We like to play checkers. God plays chess. He thinks ahead. I'd like to introduce you to a word, wonderful. I know, you think you know the word. But we use that word in a way that's different from the the way they used it. We use the word as mild praise. Oh, that meal was wonderful. Well, that was a wonderful evening. We had a wonderful time. And there's nothing wrong with using the word like that, because that's the way we use the word in English today. Fair enough. But back then, the word wonderful actually meant full of wonder make your jaw drop, hit your knees, staggered, speechless when you saw it. It was just, this is too much to take in. I am, well, I almost used a, you don't, I don't think you use the word gobstopped, um, go, or gobsmacked. Um, well, I'll just go with speechless, not nearly as cool. Um, you, you just don't know what to say when you see this. Think of this, Manoah, Samson's father. Samson's mother, before Samson was born, was told by an angel, you're going to have a son, he's going to be a great guy, a judge, make sure he's a Nazarene and this, that, and the other. She goes and tells her husband, and he goes, right, you've seen an angel. Okay. Uh, He didn't believe it. Then he goes off, and the angel shows up to Manoah. Manoah listens patiently and then says, what is your name? The angel replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Literally, in the Hebrew, it is too wonderful. In other words, if I told you my name, it would blow your circuits. It's too great for you. Well, somebody like that is coming. Somebody with the name Wonderful. And Jesus certainly earned the title Wonderful. The way he was born, that's wonderful. Son born of a virgin, don't see that. God saving the nation through a baby? Don't see that either. His life, his teaching, his resurrection from the dead, all of these things qualify as wonderful. We often tell the story so much that we don't realize how wonderful it is. But they should make us hit our knees and our jaws drop. He taught us so many things that are counterintuitive. They still mess with our brains, such as TV's all concerned about Save gold, save silver, invest, annuities, don't do annuities, just all the time, you're going to run out of money, you're going to, you're going to live too long, and then the other commercials are, get this medicine, you're going to die too soon. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow, lay it not up for yourselves treasures on earth, and we're going, well, that doesn't seem to make sense, that's counterintuitive. Or how about this, blessed are those who mourn. I've had that explained away so many times. You don't explain that away. You just take it. If it makes you wonder and go speechless, go, go speechless. Or how about rejoice and be glad when people persecute you? I got to admit, that's counterintuitive. I get hate e- 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 email. It doesn't happen all the time. But if you open it up and you know, I don't go, woohoo. I don't call my wife and says We're going on a date. Great day. It's counterintuitive. But Jesus said, Learn this. How about love your enemies? Be good to those who hate you? That's wonderful. But this title isn't just wonderful, it is wonderful counselor. It's a qualifier for the word counselor. Today, a counselor is somebody you go to to help you through a situation you're stuck in, uh, socially, perhaps mentally, uh, or emotionally. You're able to function as a human being. You're not, you're not uh, deep in medication in some facility. You just have an issue in your life, and you need to go to somebody who can guide you through this. And sometimes it's just the wise people of the village, wise people in the family. Other times, perhaps more often, we, we seek out people with official degrees and licensure because we know that they've been trained to do no harm as they help us through whatever we're stuck in. All of these things are good, But in Isaiah's day, a counselor was different. A counselor was a wise person who stood next to the king and told the king what he should be thinking and saying. They also stood at the city gates to help adjudicate issues that would come before them. If you had an issue, you went to the city gates to the wise people, the counselors, and they decided what was right and what was wrong. The problem is, when Isaiah used it, the counselors by the king were corrupt. They were ignorant. They were giving the wrong advice to the leaders. Because the bureaucracy was corrupt and broken, the nation was about to be taken down and be sent into captivity. And so Isaiah says, in contrast to the counselors around the religious leaders of the day, we have a wonderful counselor who is coming. Isaiah says, God himself is a counselor you should listen to. Please remember this. We love to take sides. It's just amazing. I don't listen to sports talk radio because I already know what it's going to say. It's the same argument all the time. That and in fact, that's why people listen to it. It's because they enjoy that particular argument. And the same with a lot of the news. The same with we like to pick sides and then argue our point. God says. Don't listen to the teams and the sides you're picking politically, socially, or whatever. Instead, you have a counselor. His name is God. You listen to him. You let him tell you what is wise. Isaiah 28 and verse 29 tells us that counselor is coming. He is God. You listen to him. It is not at all uncommon, by the way, for God to share a title with Jesus and to share that title with the Spirit. They're all our counselor. How wise was Jesus? I don't have these up on the screens, I don't think. But in John chapter 2 and verse 25, excuse me, Scripture says, He did not need testimony about any mankind. He knew what was in each person. Now that's a wise counselor. Or how about we could skip forward to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians a little book. Don't go past it. Don't go past it. Ah, I went past it. Um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, where it says, in whom, about Christ, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want wisdom and knowledge, where should you go? You ought to go to the guy that's got all of it. That would be Jesus. Now, there's a huge difference. Listen to me, former shrink here. There's a huge difference between a knowledgeable counselor and a wise one. There are a lot of people who have incredible knowledge and very little wisdom. If you don't know the difference, knowledge is facts and figures. Wisdom is knowing how to use what you've got. That's the simplest I could do for you. I have seen wise counselors. I'm thinking of one right now who never got past high school. But his wisdom was so great, churches sought him out and sent people to him, talk to him. And I talked to him. And I got a lot of degrees, but I think he was wiser than me. And the idea is, maybe he didn't know everything I knew, but he knew how to use what he had. And he also was an effective one. Jesus was effective, and he showed us the path and how to counsel. How to take care of others. Now, church, this is where it gets personal. Not with me, with us. As a church, we are a church. Remember, we always say open arms, empty hands. We embrace all, we throw rocks at nobody. We share what we have, open arms, empty hands. But there's a cost to that. In Mark chapter 1, right out the gate, Mark chapter 1, didn't even wait to chapter 2, verse 41, he touches a leper. Who wants to touch a leper? I remember when I first came back to America it was when we were first understanding what, well, we weren't understanding it. That's a problem. First, we were hearing of AIDS and the retroviruses that caused all of this. And, and we, we didn't know what we were up against. And I got a call from somebody that said, there's this man in a hospital. Nobody will go visit him. Uh, he's left his family. His family has deserted him. The rest of them deserted him. So I went up. And he was there with AIDS, and nobody would come see him. And talked to him, and he wept, and I cried, and we prayed, and all the other. And then right before I left, he said, I said, is there anything else I can do for you? He said, would you hug me? All right. First of all, British, but okay. I've seen this in a movie. Um, We're going to give it a go. Second thing, we didn't know what caused AIDS back then. We thought it could be casual contact. Standing downwind. Now I'm hugging the man. And I wish I could tell you that I went to him with the Spirit of Christ. I did hug him. I did hug him. But inside I'm screaming, no. Got out to the car, and I'm thinking, um, I got a wife and a baby at home, well, a wee girl at home. Whoa. Rummaged around, found a couple moist towelettes. Kids, this is before even Purell and hand sanitizers. I'm trying to take a bath in the front seat of my car with a couple of moist towelettes. Don't get the picture in your head. It ruins lunch. The point is, if you hug people, you will get dirty. We are a church that's not afraid to get dirty. Because we would feed people in Detroit My goodness, sometimes you would walk past a smelly pile of rags and then it moved. It's a person. They would come and eat, and the stench of urine and worse on them. And then they would cry and reach out to hug you. We would hug them. A lot of times I would come home, Cammie would come up to hug me, and I'd go, No, no, we're burning these. These cannot be saved. Not after today. In fact, you might want to throw me in the washer with a bit of bleach at this point. But we did it because that's what God does to us. He hugs us no matter how dirty we are. I had a series of speeches at a whole bunch of places through this one Sunday. It was in an area with a bunch of different churches, and they were circuit-riding me that day. First day, first speech, I give the bet, and here comes a little girl to hug me. I've never seen a wee girl before. She's just a natural gifted hugger. She's about, I don't know, four or five. I'm sitting in a chair when she comes running up to hug me. She's got peanut butter all over her face. Now I have peanut butter all over my shirt and tie. And I got a long day to go. But you know something? That's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor. Never seen her since. I think God just sent her for her. They enjoyed that in heaven or something. One of my favorite incidences... Was when a lady came up, she was having a rough day, evidently. Now this lady, and I don't do not get paranoid about this. Use makeup, use perfume. Go ahead. This lady used a lot. And she came up and she just face planted and hugged and cried. So I held her. Later that day I went into the bathroom, looked up, I had a face. <clears throat> there was eye stuff, there was the rouge. There was the white bits and such. I had a face on me. And I'm going, I, what do you do with this? There are other times um, I, I'll come home and say, I've got to wash the brethren off. <laughs> if you hug, you get dirty. We hug. Even if you're not hugging like this. We're going to bring people in here that are going to be loved, accepted, treated with dignity and grace, and that's going to be a scandal to others. Let it be a scandal. Don't you think it's a scandal in the heavenlies when Jesus loves us? As dirty as we get. When somebody was in need on a Sabbath, he helped them. He was not hung up on process. He was not hung up on what others might think. He was not hung up on what it might cost him. He just healed him. Another man needs healing right in the middle of a church service. Jesus wasn't hung up on, well, we got to do the church service right. Then we got to close the worship service with an amen. Then we can do this. And we he just stopped everything and took care of him. That's what this church has to be as well. Take care of them now. Love them now. Don't make them walk and wait through ritual and process to find Jesus. When a blind man calls out for help... Jesus steps away from the crowd, gives a man privacy, gives him dignity, and then amazingly looks at him. An Almighty God standing in front of a blind beggar says, "What would you like for me to do for you?" The humility there is amazing. And then he stops by the man, by waiting to be healed by the pool of Bethesda, and he asks him, "Do you want to be healed?" Now that's a good counselor question. Do you want to be healed? Then tells him, get up, take up your bed, too. What's about that take up your bed thing? Well, later he goes to check on him. He says, you doing all right? Man's healed, yes? He goes, well, don't sin in the future. And I've had people say, well, some sort of sin must have made him uh, you know, get ill and lame. No, no, no. The sin was he laid there for years and years and years and years and years and, years and didn't try to get better. No, 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 buddy. You're better. Stay better. He's a good counselor. If you don't understand that, let me explain something to you. Um, I had a man who had issues with his wife. They came in. She was a beautiful young girl. I don't know what, well, I do know what the problem with him him was uh, because I was trained. But um, as, as he would go on about her failings, it wasn't long before I found out he was still carrying a couple pictures in his wallet of old girlfriends. Back when you carry them in wallets, not on phones. I said, What's that about? He goes, Well, that, no, they're just friends. And I uh, No, hang on. What's that about? What you're doing is you're setting up your escape route. It's kind of like those people. Again, do not get paranoid. I want you to eat of the fat of the land. Jesus never said uh, that if you're going to be blessed, he would bless you with the broccoli of the land. Go ahead. Whatever you want to eat, that's fine. But let's say that you had told God, I'm going to watch my diet and I'm going to lose weight. And for some reason, you're going through Kroger, and you have a big bunch of cream donuts in your... They leapt in? They got in somehow. You get home, and you put them on the counter, and you go, God, I'm sorry, I promised to you that I was not going to do this kind of stuff, and so I'm, I'm going to try to be better. And you put those in the refrigerator, and you walk... What, where'd you put them? In the refrigerator. Why? To prepare for failing. No. We dump everything that holds us back, Paul says. We drop the weight that holds us back. And again, don't get paranoid about weight things here. Uh, God loves you fat and skinny, right? The gates of heaven are wide enough for any of us. Fair enough, right? So don't don't overanalyze what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is you make a promise to God, you blow it, he gets it, but the counselor in him says, don't prepare to go back to your sin. Set yourself up. For success later. And unlike earthly counselors and political professionals and cabinet ministers and Jesus was approachable. I was standing in the airport in Columbus, Ohio, minding my own business, by a door that doesn't open, waiting for my flight, when that door opened. And out came a bunch of men in suits. And they they looked serious. <laughs> I stood there until one of them put me up against the wall. I'm going, that's unusual. And then a couple of them stared at me while Janet Reno walked past, the Attorney General at the time. I went, oh, that's why. Now, the difference between Jesus and Janet Reno is he didn't bring armed guards with him, and he would have stopped and said hello. That's not a blast against her. It is a praise of Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor. Look at Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You're all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was using a bit of hyperbole. Can you call your dad your dad? Yes, absolutely. Can you call your teacher your teacher? Yes. Well, let me give you an example. I, had, I was visiting the states and, and doing a course when uh, in our church that I was attending, one, one of our tribe, here came in a man that was going to be a professor at that school, and he had just been hired. He was a, the head of psychology of that department. And I thought, oh, that's great, yeah, So later on, I went up to him and I said hello, and I called him by his first name and stuck my hand out. And he looked at me and didn't put his hand out. He goes, "That's Doctor. Hello." Hello. And I'm thinking, "You need a psychologist. (laughs) If you must be called a title, or you you are offended. No, among us, we're all on one island. We are brothers and sisters. We are all one family." be careful. Jesus didn't say, call me this. Did he call him rabbi? Yes. Did he ever ask for it? No. Did he call him master? Yes. Did he call him teacher? Yes. Did he ever ask for it or insist on it? No. He called himself Jesus, the most common name in the first century Jews. In case you're wondering if he cares for you, I'd ask you to open up your gospels and read them starting with Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where he says, I came here for the people nobody else loves. I came here for the stinky, came here for the dirty. I came here for the ones nobody else will hug. I'm here for them. I think that means he cares for you. I think that means he loves you. The dirty, the smelly, those looked down upon, the brokenhearted, the oppressed, the imprisoned, the Samaritans, the Syrophoenicians, the women of ill repute, The beggars with nothing to offer him in return. He was there for them. He will be there for you. What else does he have to do to prove it? But to give his life for you and not resent you after. Not resent you after. But love you. Show you the scars and say, it's going to be okay. The story doesn't end here anymore. Does Jesus care? Mark, I'll let you bring up your team now. This old song says, oh, yes, he cared. I know he he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And so it is. Jesus wept, the scripture says. More than once he wept. He sees what we're going through. And as it is said in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, one of my favorite passages, actually. It's an obscure bit. Mark six thirty four. he saw the crowds, and he had great compassion on them. Would you stand, please? I would assume that things are going wrong in your life because you're human and you're on the planet. That's really all that's required for things to go wrong in your life. I've learned years ago to be nice to everybody that I can be because everybody's going through a hard day. But if you consistently fall, I'd ask you, who is your counselor? Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your advice? And if you're constantly being berated and knocked down and dragged down, I would ask you again, who's telling you that? If the devil keeps reminding you of your past, remind him of his future. And listen to Jesus, the wonderful counselor of God. Amen.